Sorry, I'm laughing at the mic. Rolling, take one. Is it going to be And welcome to All Through a Lens. This is a podcast about film photography where we discuss a little more than just film photography. I'm Vanya. And I'm Eric. So Eric. Yeah. What have you been up to? I've been up to quite a bit this past week or so. Over the weekend, I did a day trip to the Inland Northwest Rail Museum and I shot, yeah, I shot their yard. Uh, What that is, they have a kind of a... A railroad graveyard up there where there were no signs telling me to not walk around. So I walked around going back to my car for more film and more cameras. I think I shot four or five cameras that day in the yard. And then the rest of the day, I just kind of drove around eastern Washington taking pictures of random things like I do. Uh, A weird, no large format day for me. Not even one. Did you even bring it? I did not. I did not. I actually, I lost my Intrepid for a couple of weeks. Just couldn't find it. Turned out it was in the closet. Who knew? Where it's supposed to be? Or... Where, where it was supposed to be, yeah. I'm, okay. yeah, I just didn't look hard enough or it didn't want to be found. You did something surf related, did you not? I did. I tried to as much as possible. Uh, I did shoot the hot dogger championship this past saturday okay what the hell is that it's a traditional longboard competition so meaning 1960s like heavy volan single fin longboards no leashes really kind of old school hermosa beach it's kind of a very historic place a lot of big names came out of there. If Cap Jacobs, Greg Knoll, uh, Dewey Weber, Bean Copeland, Donald Takayama. It's kind of like just a fun day that people get together and they surf and it's not really for competing. It's more just for fun. Okay. But you did, uh, you did participate. You didn't just take pictures. I mostly took pictures throughout the day. And uh, I was invited to be part of a team. And uh, we just go out, you get a couple waves, and then you kind of tag in your partner. We ended up getting second place out of six teams. Somehow, I have no idea. Is it because you are the South Bay Shredder? (laughs) Definitely not. Okay. (laughs) I I heard tell that you you were really shredding um, South Bay. (laughs) But what do I know? Hilarious. Hilarious. So what did you shoot? You obviously surfed and you kicked a lot of ass, uh, which is kind of awesome. But what Thank did you? Yeah, it is. What did you shoot? Well, I brought the Bell and Howl and shot a little eight millimeter film. Wow. Like, and then I mostly shot with the Mamiya RB67. I shot with it, the I think, two years ago, and I really like how the pictures came out, so I brought a ton of film this time, and I went all out. It was kind of insane. I actually thought about you, because I know that you kind of plan out your day, and you shoot all day. You shoot a lot of film. That's true. And... I kind of did that. I shot like six rolls, seven rolls, and that's a lot for me. That's a, that's a day for me. I did. I think I did eight rolls, maybe. Yeah, yeah. that's crazy. Well, they're trains. <laughs> you can't not shoot trains. Yeah, that's absolutely fun. Did you go inside any of them? Well, there's no sign saying you can't go inside. <laughs> uh, I guess that covers our collective weekends. 
Do you mm. want to check the answering machine? I absolutely do. Last week, we asked listeners to call in and tell us what it is about one of their favorite emulsions that really made them fall in love with it. Not like, what's the deserted island emulsion? That's not something we really care about. But what is it about a film that you use a lot that you really love? What is it about that? So we have a number of calls to get through. So let's check the answering machine. No one is available to take your call. Please leave a message after the tone. Hey, Eric and Vanya. It is Tim Massey uh, on an Instagram CTW photo. Uh, Just uh, out here in the field in the middle of nowhere of upstate New York and uh, just listened to your podcast and uh, wanted to give a little love to one of my newer favorite films, the Rolly Super Pan 200. Uh, It's kind of like Ilford SFX. Uh, except a little cheaper. Uh, what I love about it is the extended spectral range. You can throw on an uh, R72 filter and get those cool near-infrared tones. And uh, yeah, it's just been a really fun film to try out with and without the filter on. It's nice to have an ISO 200 speed film or go with an ISO 3 or 6. Alright guys, looking forward to the next one. Super Pan 200. I actually shot with that this Saturday. Oh, cool. Cool. With a yellow filter. Great. And it looks good with the Super Pan? Yeah, it did. Cool. Yeah, it I got a lot of great contrast. I like that film a lot. Yeah. And I know that it's another film, actually. Yeah, it is uh, rebranded Agfa Avifault Pan 200 or something like that. But yeah, it is a, it is a newly branded or I guess newly rebranded film by Rolly. Uh, originally made and probably still made by Agfa. Hey, film friends, Dustin from the Granny Days podcast here to answer your question about our favorite film emulsion. I would have to say mine is the Eastman Kodak 5222. It's a black and white cinema film responsible for many of your favorite movies. For me, it's exactly what I like in a black and white film. The gray tones are almost silvery. The shadows can go inky black if you push it a little bit. The highlights will glow. Uh, It pretty much ticks all of my boxes, and I just wish they would offer it in 120. Seems like that's always the case. Every time I really like something, I'm like, why is this not in 120? Yeah, and this stuff would be great in 120. The double X is, it is, like you said, is a cinema film. Is it still available? It is. You can get it at FPP for like seven bucks a roll. It's a little on the pricey side. I think you can probably find it on like eBay and a bulk, and you know, to be bulk loaded. Hi, Eric and Vanya. This is Will. Uh, the last film emulsion that I fell in love with was Agfa Vista 200. I shot it for the first time at a public art exhibit in Detroit, and it worked so beautifully, especially because the art exhibit was full of these. Um, translucent plastic balls like a giant ball pit and so the room was just so full of light and the this emulsion really just kind of made all the colors pop and it felt so true to life it was probably the most true to life emulsion that i have seen yet so i mourn its loss but i'm shooting a lot of uh fuji color c200 in the hopes that that will fill the void that should fill the void. It should fill the void perfectly because Agfa Vista 200 was just rebranded Fuji C200. What? Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. People have disputed this, but I mean, it's, it's, 
So yeah, people do argue whether Fuji C200 and Fuji Color 200 are the same thing even. So I mean, Fuji is not a company that is very forthcoming with what they're doing ever. And so I guess we can't say for any real, like absolute certainty that C200 and Color 200 are the same thing and that Agfa Vista 200 was just one of those or both of those are the same thing. But it's almost 100% certain there. Hey, Jonas Lundström from Sweden here. Uh, my uh, latest fall in love moment with a film is gotta be, well, besides Polypana F, it's always been a great film. Uh, but uh, Tri X, uh, not just the usual Tri X, but uh, I got hold of some old stuff, you know, the uh, green, yellow label stuff. It, uh, I think it's expired in the 70s, 80s or something. Anyway, it, uh, I didn't think much of it. And it was grainy and all that. Uh, it's uh, fun stuff. But uh, then I put it in my uh, half-frame uh, Olympus pen camera. And man, did it shine. <laughs> all it really wanted was some nice overexposure from some sloppy shutter. And it... Mmm really love it the bright uh, how it translates the brightness into the images you know i want to say something i totally get what he's saying like how he said slow shutter i have certain films that i use for cameras that are slow oh really and i just love how it comes out so i get it i've shot with um old triax before and you know triax is like is great it's a good staple i mean it is i i because of him uh, I've actually started to think about shooting Tri-X again, like in, in 120. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it is a, it's a wonderful old, it just looks old. It looks, it looks kind of an ageless thing. But he also mentioned Polypan F, and I, I can't let that just go. There's not a lot of Polypan F shooters out there. Polypan F is a very, very mystery film. I don't know if anybody really knows where it comes from. There is some speculation that it was from Germany, and there is some speculation that it was actually made by Harman. Two very different speculations, so I don't really think anybody knows. I don't know what it was used for. It's a very thin film. It has a very slight anti-halation layer. So you get, in certain exposures, everything kind of glows, not fogs, but there's a glow to it. If you're, if you're actually, if you want to shoot something dreamy, definitely choose polypan. Wait, you have 35 millimeter for it? It's only 35. Hey, Eric and Vanya, this is Matt at Moonraker32 on Instagram. and my favorite film is Kodak Varicolor 3. Um, I really like the colors it produces. Um, I think Eric also loves this film. I, unlike Eric, uh, actually like the colors I get from C41. Um, I know he does the ECN2 process, but I don't, uh, not quite that handy. But uh, thank y'all. Uh, when we were thinking about which uh, emulsions that we would choose, I cho- chose Varicolor 3 right away. It's a film that I don't even know if I'd heard of before shooting it. 
it probably went out of uh, circulation before I got back into film photography. Uh, it was made by Kodak. It's a. It was a pretty. I don't think it was like a professional film or anything like that. It was a pretty standard, like a, a notch up from gold. You know, it was a pretty standard film. Mm-hmm. But I got it from. I got a, a a bulk roll of it from eBay. So I shot about half of the roll, and I was really. I was bummed, you know, I tried different filters on it and it just didn't, I tried you know, warming filters. I tried, I tried other warming filters and just couldn't, <laughs> I just couldn't get it to warm up. So when I switched to ECN2 and at this point, I don't even remember why I did it. I just did it because I, I think it was just kind of neat and cheap to make your own, uh, make your own color developer. It is kind of fun when you like get to mix it and it does that little magic trick for you. Oh, it's wonderful. I love it. <laughs> For a while, I was just developing motion picture film, which is what it was intended to do. And then I threw a roll of Varicolor 3 in there, and suddenly the blues were gone. Suddenly, hmm. it was the natural color, but much more saturated, like super fucking saturated. I was like, oh, wow. Wow. This is everything I've ever wanted in a color film. So I would go out specifically mm-hmm. shooting scenes so that I could use this Varicolor through this process. And even like when I'd scan it in, I'd have to tone down the saturation a little bit because it was, it was just so bold. Vanya, what emulsion and what do you like about it? <laughs> I picked Kentmere 400. Wow. That's yeah. not a choice that I would think most people would make. No, not at all. Okay. I mean... I'm not going to go like, oh, like, this is the most amazing thing, but I chose it for practical reasons. I get it in bulk, so I get a 100-foot roll, so same same thing. Yeah, I like my Nikonos, and I don't have any sort of water housing for a medium format camera as of right now. Uh, I like to make my own rolls. 24 is definitely enough. It's fun for testing out new cameras, so I'll even make like 10 exposure rolls and throw those in cameras and and give it a shot. It dries flat, which I really like. Some people say it's like really sensitive and it's easy to scratch. That's probably pretty true, but I'm just pretty careful with that while I'm developing. So all of these reasons are very practical reasons. It's cheap. It dries flat. Yeah. It's good for testing cameras. What do you like about the images? The grain is just right the 400 i mean the 100 speed's great too but in the water i usually try to go a little bit more so 400 seems like kind of the perfect uh, amount the grain is fine um but also you know my nikonos it's not exactly correct as far as like the shutter speeds is it pretty forgiving with the under over yeah is totally it? that's cool I mean, I say so. I don't know if what other people would say, but I definitely think so. And and I'm like moving, I'm constantly moving like towards the sun and, you know, underneath the pier or wherever. So the amount of light is constantly changing and I'm constantly changing the settings. I don't just like stick to a setting. I just move all over the place constantly, which kind of sucks because then I'll be like, oh my God, I really like 12 exposure and I don't remember what it was. Well, yeah, we all, <laughs> those are the problems we all have. <laughs> uh, so this stuff is made by whom? It's a Harmon film. Yeah, Ooh. so it's under Ilford. It's just their like budget like student film. So still obviously very available, cheap, and I looked it up. Yeah, forty nine ninety nine for a hundred foot roll. But you can also get Kentmere in single rolls. Yeah, but not can. in but not in one twenty. No, is that true? It, 
Yeah. Only 35. <laughs> Only which 35. Which drives me nuts. It totally drives me nuts. But yeah. Right now, that's what I'm really liking. You know, I still have a bunch left and I'm going to use it up and I'm probably going to get another 100 foot roll. That's cool. Yeah. I've been bulk loading for quite a while now. I've got a number of bulk loaders. Bulk loading's fun because you get to shoot more. I don't get to buy tons of film all the time. And I do have some that I'm actually like coveting in the fridge that I just will not use yet. But I could just make, you know, however many exposures and throw it into a camera. And I'm, a, I'm just shooting more often because of it. You, you covet film that you have. I do. That's... I do. An amazing problem that you've got there. I do. I have some um, 220 Portra 800. Yeah. Like, actually, I, I did give you a roll of that, and you shot with it in Yellowstone. I did. You, yeah. How did if it come I, out? Had I? Uh, it was beautiful. If I would have known that it was your dream film, I <laughs> I wouldn't have have done it. I would have snuck it back into your bag or something. No, I mean I have three more rolls, so it's totally fine, and it's good because you tested it for me. So did you shoot it at eight hundred? Maybe do you remember? I doubt it. No, I you probably if, shot at. I probably shot at four, maybe two, depending. I do like Portra, uh, a little overexposed. Absolutely, and I love Portra eight hundred because it is a very dreamy film. Maybe mm. not as dreamy as Polly Pan F, but this is in color. <laughs> So sometimes you dream in color, sometimes you dream in black and white, and we've got films for both of those. <laughs> we are talking a lot about different emulsions and dreaminess. We were going to give Anne Holland a call and talk to her a little bit about her favorite emulsions, see what she has to say about that and travel and zines, and it's... we'll just give her a call. Hello. Hello, Anne. Yes. Hey, this is. Hi. <laughs> hey. Hi. Hey, this is Eric and Vanya from All Through a Lens. Uh, hey, you guys. Hey, well, we were talking about film emulsions and our current favorites and what we like about them and all that stuff, and we thought we'd ask you a few questions. Okay. Okay. So, um, starting off, it's a question we asked uh, everybody. What is it about your favorite emulsion that that made you fall in love with it? Huh. Okay. I first. Un- sort of think about Polaroid emulsions when I think about this question because I really, really, really like to do emulsion lifts with the Polaroids. So it, so it's my favorite emulsion for getting creative. It might not be my favorite emulsion for like how the shot looks, but what I can do with it, if that makes sense. It does. Yeah, that's great. Otherwise, if I had to pick like another emulsion like a more mainstream emulsion i'm kind of surprised but i would say like a wacky one like either lomochrome purple or the double film any of their oh right fun ones like jelly brandy was talking about that last time i believe yeah 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 it seems to be like a like a a big draw for a lot of people yeah and i'm really surprised because when i first started doing more film shooting like 35 millimeter and 120 at the beginning of this year, I was like, I was going to be a purist. And I was like, I'm only going to shoot Kodak Portra 400 for color. And I'm only going to shoot like Ilford Mm -hmm. HP five plus for black and white. Um, And then next thing I know, I'm like down this rabbit hole. Like, (laughs) looks cool. (laughs) So I'm looking at some of your emulsion lifts that you sent. They're pretty amazing. Um, Is this for a journal? 
Yeah, well, I did a journal um, with Emulsion Lifts as part of a project that somebody was doing on Instagram that I was participating in Mm. called Just Five Things. And you were supposed to just make these short lists every day and they would give you a prompt. It was Michelle GD. And she does amazing photography. And also she's just a very gentle soul. Um, And so her ideas are always really interesting and inspiring. And so for my journal with it, I liked the idea of not writing a whole bunch, um, just typing the words down that kind of came to me. But then they looked really plain on the paper. And I thought, I'm going to, you know, put photos on top of it. And so I took Polaroids every day and then lifted them and put them over the typewritten words on the pages. And then I decided that I was going to turn it from a journal into a zine. So, because somebody suggested that I do it, and they said I should scan everything and do it on the computer, but I'm, I'm so not skilled like that. So I actually just deconstructed the journal and stuck it the pages onto paper and photocopied them. When, when does a photo journal become a zine? Do you separate the two or do you just decide like, oh, I'm going to print this and share this with other people or are these more, the journals more personal? Yeah, the journals I usually leave as just a journal only because very often they're travel related and they tend to be kind of like long and sort of, you know, I don't necessarily have a cohesive plan for them. So only sometimes do I turn a journal into a zine. Usually, like, I'll go into a project with either a this is going to be a journal or this is going to be a zine. This was, this emulsion lift one was kind of the first one that I had taken a journal and sort of converted it into a zine or modified it into a zine. Do you still have copies left of this one? Yeah, I actually just was at the copy shop making the copy. Oh, yeah, this is the one for the copies. Okay, all right. (laughs) Oh, this is great. I can't wait for people to see it. It's really beautiful. Well, thank you. Do do you sell these? Yeah, I do. Um, People can get them through your Instagram page? Yes. Uh, Yeah, these these I was kind of planning on... um, because people were always like, well, what are you going to do for Polaroid week? Because it's coming up. I think it starts the 20th. Oh. Um, and like, I never have an idea for Polaroid week. And so this year I decided to challenge myself to actually sort of, um, this makes me sound like I'm like Beyonce or something, which I'm not, but like drop a Z. <laughs> every, <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure that's every, Beyonce. Every day on Polaroid week. Yeah, I'm oh, wow. Vincent film. <laughs> <laughs> every every day so seven zines no there's only six days of polaroid week so i i'm yeah right. i've only got six okay. to do um, all right so yeah <laughs> but i've got four so far um and i have like you know what five days left maybe we well, got this i have a good, I have a good plan. <laughs> <laughs> um do you reprint zines That's funny because one of them was going to be a reprint um, because I realized um, that when I did it the first time around, I didn't think about putting much information about what it was, you know, because you want, well, the way I do it, you only have eight pages. 
Mm-hmm. And I hadn't really thought about, like, you know, really including information. I was trying to kind of jam, like, important stuff on each page. And afterwards, I found myself having to explain to people sort of the, the intent behind it uh, because it wasn't clear. And so I thought, I'm going to redo this and actually like change it around so that I explain the process that, you know, what I'm combining on these pages. Because otherwise people thought, for example, it's like things that I cut out of photography magazines from back in the 50s that were really kind of um, not very empowering to women, Um, you know, advising on like, you know, how you could look your best in a photo shoot or, you know, not smell around your male photographer colleagues and things like that. And so I paired those with like nude self-portrait images that I had taken of myself that I did think were very empowering. And I liked the juxtaposition, but people thought I had just like generated the words like on my computer and put them that they were just sort of random things instead of, no, this was actually an advertisement for something you know, back in the 50s. That, the 50s yeah. is such a wonderful time for advice for women. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so once I told people this, they were like, oh, well, that's really interesting. And now I'm looking at it differently. And I thought, oh, I just, you know, I made such a tactical blunder not explaining that um, and just thinking it would be obvious because I don't honestly know how it would have been obvious. <laughs> Do you think it was like an, a generational thing that people didn't get it? I think it's just that um, because my zines are kind of low tech and like a little bit retro that way with the cutting and pasting like a lot of times when people look at the printed zine they won't quite understand it until I show them like the original and they're like oh you didn't scan these photos and then put them on like you actually taped it to the page you know and then photocopied it like people are so used to um just you know editing things on a laptop that yeah the whole, you know, no, I'm like back to the basics. Like I'm actually like scissors and glue and tape and stuff. Um, a zine in a traditional sense. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um, you do a, a journaling workshop. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which I guess goes through your your process. That I guess mm-hmm. kind of what we're talking about now in a lot of ways. Yeah, I um, it's. I sort of, I'm, I'm never sure what to say about my process. So usually the journaling workshop is a lot of, you know, me sort of um, rambling and, and filing and showing people things like, uh, this is what I'm trying to convey. Um, because the process is kind of laid back and just, it just kind of happens. Like it's not a really structured thing um, because I'll just take, you know, a blank notebook, and then just kind of run with it as far as um, sticking the photos on the pages and deciding what I want to include uh, with the photos. Um, And it's pretty simple because it's sort of, I don't know, maybe it's a personal backlash against like the scrapbooking that I feel like I got into like when I first had kids. And there was that pressure to like make the perfect scrapbook. Um, maybe maybe I was unique in this, this you know, like scrapbook hang up. But anyhow, um, <laughs> <laughs> I sort of like chafed against it. The, the, you know, so much time was spent like embellishing the page that the photos got lost. 
Um, and I didn't want to, to keep doing that. And so for me, it's always that the photo is first and foremost, and then the writing is really important too. But not in the sense of like, oh, I need to write like an essay on each page. It's more like, no, I want to get down somehow, like what was really like what the backstory was of this photo, like what I was feeling, what was going on, whether it was good or bad, um, you know, who's in the photo, like all this stuff that that ultimately, like to me, the pages should be able to speak on their own. Like I shouldn't have to hover over the person's shoulder as they're looking at it and be like, oh yeah, that's the, you know, and they've got like a zillion questions. Like why, why is there a picture of like, you know, this blurry thing on the page and I have to explain like, Oh, well that's, you know, and it's like, well, no, the, the person should be able to take their own journey through the pages without any, you know, meddling from me, you know? So, and I don't like it to be fussy. Like it also is something that, you know, I don't want to, cause I do it in the moment on the vacation and it needs to just kind of be part of the day and the routine instead of, you know, oh, I need to set aside, you know, an hour each day to, you know, have my sacred journaling time, you know, it really had, you know, it can happen like in the car or, you know, at the restaurant, you know, when you're waiting for food or something. Um, yeah, it's just kind of an, you know, in the moment thing. So you've really kind of, you kind of incorporated it into your, into your life, really. Yeah, yeah, because I had to. <laughs> people were not slowing down. <laughs> oh, that's great. So speaking of travel, um, you know, you do a lot of, you know, traveling with your family and then solo travels. Can you talk about how you shoot differently? Yeah, it's tricky um, because <laughs> yeah. when I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm really wanting to just take notes right now is what I would like to do. No, because I like I feel like I'm the I'm like the this is what you should not do, but I always <laughs> do it sort of thing. Yeah, like learn from my mistakes, people, because um, <laughs> I just keep making the same mistakes. Because um, every trip, I'm like, okay, I'm not going to slow the pack down. Like I'm gonna, you know, I'm, I'm gonna be good. This is going to be seamless. You know, whatever. And then I can see them, you know, rolling their eyes or like, mom, come on, you know, like, why are we still here? It's like, oh, I did it again. Um, <laughs> but, but it has gotten better because now they ask me to take their photographs. Like I'm the go-to person. They're like, oh, I want to want my portrait, you know, here. Can you do it, mom? And I'm like, yes, see, now you appreciate me. Um, <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> but uh, yeah, because when you're solo, like I pull over all the time when I'm driving by myself. Uh, and you know, when I'm with the family, I realize like if we do this, we will never get to our destination. <laughs> so it has to be very judicious. And I have a lot of like out the window shots where like in the journal, I'll be like, this was actually supposed to be this really cool abandoned farmhouse, but we were going by at like 75 miles an hour. <laughs> so imagine how cool it was <laughs> because yeah, they just, you know, it's, it's not super practical um and like sometimes like when we were in antarctica you know we're on these boats and you know it's super easy to like get your iphone out of your pocket if you suddenly see like a whale tail coming up and you're like oh my gosh i gotta get a photo click whereas i'm like oh which compartment is my camera in <laughs> like you know trying to unzip stuff and not fall out of the boat and you know stuff like that so um yeah you can 
can be a little bit tricky. It took me like the entire Antarctica trip to figure out where to stash my cameras in my pockets so that I could get them out almost as fast as everyone else was getting out their iPhones. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. So you, okay, when I, when I went to your website, or a website where you're on, I guess it was the Lomography page oh, that you're yeah. having? I saw that you're, you, you visited Antarctica, which, I mean, it, it's not an a incredibly common place to, to pop in on. I guess the question is, is the world flat? Is that true or no? <laughs> it would seem like it's not. <laughs> okay, good, good. I was right. <laughs> All right, I, I want to bet there. So when you're, when you're there, you also, I mean, you do a lot of traveling in the Midwest area as well. You live in Kansas. Yes. Yes, my maybe favorite state. It's up there. Uh, yeah, I mean, it sounds, sounds like a joke. I'm, it's it's not a joke. That's no, it's, it's, true. it's it, I, I have sort of the same reaction. I'm like, wow, I liked Kansas a lot more than I thought I would. So your the inspiration that goes into your shots when you're in the Midwest or Texas or in the in the stateside, uh, how is that different when you're like in Antarctica or in in Peru or in you were in Europe, Spain, maybe? Yeah, I've been there. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, how how does the inspiration hit you differently? Yeah, it, it's weird because um, you do see things completely differently. Um, and like I've had to change my focus because when I'm traveling in the Midwest, I've noticed that I have a very narrow focus. Like I notice um, just selective things. Um, you know, like I'll get kind of mesmerized by, by details. And... That's really hard when I was when I travel abroad because you want to, like I noticed that sometimes when I looked back over my journals, I would think about what I had missed um, in them in the photographs. Like, well, I never took a photograph of this or that, you know, and and that wound up really being an important thing. And I wish I had a photo of it. Um, so for those, I'm always trying to think of the bigger picture and sort of broader um, memories, I guess. Um, whereas, you know, here it's narrower. So you're traveling with your Polaroids out, out, of, the, out of the country. Um, have you ever had any issues with x-ray machines or just, you know, check, do you check your film? Like, do you have them hand check your film or do you just like throw it in the x-ray? Yeah, I just throw it in. I don't, well, because, you know, okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> okay, yeah, truth. Like, no, I do not do anything special with my film. Um, okay. And, you know, should I? I probably should. Like, people generally think it's a good idea to, like, not zap the film. But, the re like, my reality is that I'm also trying to, you know, and now it's, it's getting a little easier because they're getting older. Um, but... For a long time, it was like, I'm trying to make sure that I don't lose four kids. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, like, I'm, I'm balancing, like, four kids versus, like, maybe my film might be a little foggy. I don't even know if it's going to be foggy. Like, you know, what's more important here? Um, you know, and then sometimes you'd get slowed down by a kid who, like, for some reason packed a backpack full of rocks, you know, and that's, like, <laughs> slowing down the security cameras. <laughs> so you're like, no, I'm not worrying about the film. I've got way bigger problems. <laughs> so. You come at things from a very different perspective than most photographers, especially since you're very tactile and hands-on with the journaling and the zines. 
and your photo zines are very different from pretty much anybody else's photo zines. It's a completely different animal. So are there are there it's photographers? <laughs> Oh, they're cre- they're ins- they're inspiring and creative. I'm no, there I'm there are them. there are a lot of photo zines that are hot messes. I've produced quite a number. <laughs> this is not that. Same for some reason. I, I I have to have at least one typo in every single one. I even have oh. Eric look through it, and I, there still ends up having which, at least which one. Tells you maybe how bad of an idea that is. <laughs> yeah, I need to f- maybe find somebody else. <laughs> How? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> so, so do you have um, like photographers that you're inspired by, or zinesters that you're inspired by, or normal folks, or how, how, where does that where does that come from? Yeah, I just it's kind of all over the map. Um, like I'm always, you know, sort of discovering, or I don't know, maybe it's just like catching the clue bus. Um, new things. Um, like I had, you know, I'm embarrassed, but I'll just admit it. Like I had never heard of um, Jill Friedman until very recently, the photographer who passed away, I think last week and did like really interesting, um, like immersing herself in sort of um, gritty uh, scenes in America, like firefighters or like a protest camp and things like that. I was like, wow, I was looking through her photos and I just thought, oh my gosh, this is fascinating. And it's like that with so many things, like I'll stumble on something on Instagram and just think, oh my gosh, look what this person's doing. And like, that's, I've never seen that before. Um, So there's just so much like that's, you know, new, but also old that, um, that I'm always finding out about and being intrigued by. Okay. Well then last question. Is there a location that you have stumbled upon that just gave you so many more photos than you expected? Yeah, it's totally Kansas. Oh. It's it's really funny because, um, like, I love um, driving or riding, um, like, on my motorcycle back roads. And I am always just amazed by the new stuff. And it's just, like, just in the area around like I'll call it my neighborhood. I live out in the countryside, so you know, neighborhood's a bit of a, a bit of a stretch. Um, but it's just like I'll I'll drive down sort of the same roads, um, just these these dirt roads, and I'll think, oh look, like that's like I just noticed that my neighbor put out some weird um, piece of an oil rig that he drew a smiley face on. <laughs> I just saw it this morning. I was like, I like I didn't know he had that. Like I thought it was in his backfield that he let me walk through one time, and now he put it in the front field. Um, like that's exciting. I need to go get my camera. Um, and it's like weird stuff like that where just it's it's always changing. And like I, you'd think I'd get tired of you know even just you know I'll like walk three miles to the nearest post office, and you'd think like it's just the same walk back and forth. And it's like a new walk every single time. Uh, and I'm and I always bring a camera with me um, because I know I'm going to see something interesting that I haven't seen before, even though it's a regular route for me. Oh, that's so amazing. I, I want to go to Kansas now. <laughs> yeah, you totally should. I'm coming. <laughs> the flatness is kind of impressive. Like it, it, it grabs at me. You know, I'm like, wow, this is really soothing and cool. <laughs> it is. It draws you in the same way like an ocean would draw you in. Yeah, yeah. 
Like I take like pictures that. every single time. I'm like, I love this. Everyone's like, <laughs> you have like, I don't know how, like you have an entire box of photographs of the same blank landscape. <laughs> like it looks a little different this time. <laughs> yeah. And then I love looking at photos. Like I love Denise's photos. Oh my God. Yeah. It's just like, wow. She sees like a whole different Kansas you know like it's like we're looking at the same thing but like I'm feeling something completely different in her photographs and I just love that Uh, but it's familiar and yet it's different I kind of need to go to Kansas well and thank you so much for hanging out with us for a bit oh my gosh thank you for having me yeah well yeah heck yeah (laughs) um you want to tell the folks who are probably listening in where they can find you Yes, I am on Instagram at Anne Holland, which is A-N-N-E-H-O-L-L-O-N-D. Uh, again, thank you very much. Yeah, nice talking to you. That was awesome yeah. talking to you guys. <laughs> All right, we will see you on Instagram. Okay, sounds good. Bye-bye. Back in episode one, I talked about sending Eric some ultrafine extreme. It's been about a month, so what do you think of it? Well, I know you really like Ultrafine a I lot. Do. Yes, I do. And I, I do too. I, I do too. I really, I really liked it. I wanted a level playing field to compare two cameras. You borrowed me the Hasselblad 500DL, and I have the Mamiya RB67, and I kind of wanted to compare the two. So I decided to do that when I went to the Inland Northwest Railroad Museum. I knew that Ultrafine was a fine-grained film, but I wanted to get a rustic feel out of it. So I knew that I was going to be shooting a lot of twisty metal things, and I wanted the grain to kind of come out a little bit. I decided to develop the film in Rodinol 1 plus 25. It's not diluted, and I really wanted to have the grain just pop. I wanted to use an acid stop bath, but I only had water, so I missed out on some of the potential contrast, which I like for these scenes. So as for the film, after developing and scanning, I I really did. I really liked what I saw. It's a cheap film. It's kind of the the draw with Ultrafine Extreme. It's very smooth. I know it's more like Tri-X than T-Max, but it seems like a nice melding of the two. It's not sterile like T-Max, but it is fine grain. The grain's not going to be as pronounced as it is in Tri-X. Maybe if I pushed a couple more stops, I would have seen that. I shot it at box speed. Like I pretty much shoot everything because why not? But most importantly... The Ultrafine Extreme was not boring. Uh, I'd use the 400 version. I haven't shot the 100 yet. Maybe that's boring. I don't know. But sometimes T-Max and Delta and Acros, which I defy anyone to tell apart, can be really undynamic and kind of uninteresting. It's my opinion. Maybe you love them, and that's wonderful. I know people who shoot pinhole love Acros. Thumbs up to that. That's really cool. But this wasn't that. I will say that I do like the film better in the Mamiya than I did in the Hasselblad. The Hasselblad did make it seem more sterile. So the, the shots from the Hasselblad looked more T-Max than Tri-X. And that has a lot to do with Hasselblad's lenses and their, the glass. It's, it's amazing. It's second to none. I just prefer the Mamiya look a lot more. There's a bit more of a, well, a bit more of a vintage look, even though the Hasselblad is quite a bit older than the Mamiya when I'll reach for it again is I'll probably shoot it in the Mamiya again. I I really enjoyed it. It's a film that I'm going to be using a lot more than I have. Well, a lot more than I have, which was nothing before. I've never used it before. So I'm, I'm excited that I have a new black and white emulsion that I can really mess around with. Maybe draw some of the grain out. Maybe try to do that. 
Yeah, I definitely want both of us to maybe push it, I think, next. Yeah, you've shot this a lot, or is this kind of, are you starting on this as well? Well, no, I've shot it before, um, just a few rolls, because I was like, whoa, this is cheap. I'm totally getting it. I ended up kind of amazed. It was great. It kind of just stemmed from (laughs) more being cheap and (laughs) being able to afford a lot more film to shoot. So when do you reach for Ultrafine? Like, you say it's because it's cheap. That's wonderful. Me too. But when do you reach for it? Like if you're, what kind of places do you, would you want to shoot Ultrafine in? I'm shooting it medium format. So it kind of depends on what camera I have with me. If I'm shooting Ultrafine 100, I would say I'd probably shoot in my Pentax or Hasselblad and I'd be shooting portraits. My Mamiya, I like better for landscape. I think that I'm usually drawn to the empty space of the beach and the ocean, obviously, the deserts, um, on the road, pictures, things like that. So it's safe to say that you liked Ultrafine. I did. It It is Ultrafine. Do you think that you will be taking it on your trips from now on? Yeah, I think I'll probably keep this in my arsenal. Uh, it's It's something that I think I'll get a lot of use out of. It's a very... It's a very calm film. Nothing too crazy going on with it. I think it'd be great for capturing scenes that maybe are a little more chaotic, mm-hmm. a little like weird landscapes or weird uh, just junk or whatever. I think it really performs well in that. It seems good for the task. And it's readily available, which is nice to have in a film. Uh, however... For our next film exchange, I will be tossing Vanya some film that's that's not very available at all. <laughs> I'm uh, very excited. What are you going to give me? <laughs> I am going to give you something called Tasma Micrat 300. <laughs> and what am I shooting it at? <laughs> you are shooting it at 6 ISO <laughs> because fuck you. <laughs> that's fantastic. Yeah, no no tripod, just handheld 6 ISO. You can oh, do this. Wait, wait, wait. You thought that I was going to use a tripod? Well, I was hoping you wouldn't. <laughs> I definitely am not carrying around a tripod. That's not going to happen. Okay. Well, great. <laughs> Good luck hand-holding uh, a 6 ISO film. I think I, it's f- going to be great. There's going to be like crooked horizons. It's uh, It's going to be... Just fantastic. Yeah, and you shouldn't you shouldn't really be afraid of six ISO. It really is just what five stops under one hundred. Okay, so question: How am I developing this? I don't even know. <laughs> Thanks. This is going to be fun. <laughs> wow. No, I've developed it in XTAL. I've developed it in in HC one ten and Rodanol. Rodanol. Uh, it, you know, I don't like using Rodanol for 35 millimeter because it really makes the grain too much. Mm-hmm. But this is a microfilm. They used this for photographing text. Ooh. And so, yeah. And there get, you could get the 300. Isn't 300 ISO, obviously. It's 300 lines of text that you can get in a single frame. And so there is no grain in this film. I haven't pushed it. I'm sure you can really push it and get some, maybe get some grain out of it. But if you shoot it at 6 ISO and you develop it properly, you won't see grain. You can blow that thing up huge and you just won't see grain. Wait, and have you, you developed it in, in, in Rodanol or? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I'm actually thinking about switching to Rodinol. Really? Yeah. Is this what you were hinting at off off mic? Mm-hmm. That you're going to switch to Rodinol? Yeah, I think so. I think I'm ready. I think I'm ready you think, to you think just you're, go. You think you're ready? Yeah. You think you're ready for Rodinol? <laughs> yes. Good for you. Am I supposed to respond to that? <laughs> no good for me. What do you mean good for, good for you? <laughs> Watch out for snakes. Oh. That reminds me. In the last episode, you said some stuff about Colorama that wasn't exactly correct. That is true. <laughs> for instance, you said that the 1968 transmission from the moon was the only photo that wasn't on film. Is that true? Well, I mean, no. That transmitted photo it was not on film. That's true. But it wasn't the only non-film photo. There were two, sort of, one for sure. Uh, there was the 1976 NASA Viking 1 photo. Uh, it was beamed back from Mars. So, no, that was not shot on film. They're not, they're not chucking film rolls back from Mars. <laughs> and the other was the last colorama. The last colorama was actually of the, uh, the New York skyline, and that was on film. But there was a superimposed apple, uh, and the apple was, com- I guess, computer-generated, or somehow that was computer-related from, what, 1995 or something like that? So it didn't look great, but it was clever because the Big Apple, and there was a Big Apple there. Sounds awful. It was awful. And wasn't there something about the Colorama book from the George Eastman Museum? Oh, okay. When we recorded, I didn't actually have the book in hand. I had it on order, and it was a hugely thick book. And I figured, well, there are 595 images, so it's probably got all of them in it, because why would you make a huge book and not put all of your images in it? That'd be just ridiculous. So what George Eastman Museum did was they picked 82-ish, somewhere in there, 82 of the images, 82 out of the almost 600. Why? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It makes no sense. So can you see those images? You used to be able to before the book came out. Kodak had a website with every single image, 595 of them, but it's been taken down. And you can you can, you can can go to the Internet Archive and you can see where it used to be. None of the images are available as far as, far as I know. So this means that in a digital age when we can technically preserve basically anything, we've lost over 500 of these Colorama images that used to be available to us for free. And if you want to see 82 of them, you got you to gotta cough up, what, what was it, 40 bucks for the book or something like that? Yeah, I think so. Kind of ridiculous. It, it doesn't sit well. It's very Kodak in a lot of ways, <laughs> but it is what it is. So watch out for snakes. Since Eric and I were kids, we both had a fascination with zines. Back in the old days, it was zines about punk rock and greyhound buses. Now it's about photography. So the first scene we're going to take a look at this week is one that we both have. It's William Hopkins' Turn and Face the Strange. Mm, Clever title. Yes. What did you think of it, Vanya? I love it. It's um, a half-size zine. And William, I just want to say that it seems like such a task to scan in And I don't even know how you did it. I would like to know how you scanned in the 110 film for this. Uh, So this is all photos from a 110 camera. It's a vintage Kodak Tele Instamatic. Uh, I think it's from like around 1975 or so. 
Uh, he used Lomography film for it. It was a trip that he took. The pictures are kind of more candid, which I like. Uh, he writes that it's a simple camera for simple purpose, snapshots of a lived life. So good job, William. It's great. You can definitely go check it out. He has a website, uh, Will, willhopkins.cc, or check him out on Instagram. That's William at William Hopkins. Um, you actually heard his voice. He left a, an answering machine message at the beginning of the episode. Hi, Will. Buy the guy's zine. It's a good stuff. What number do you have? Do you remember? Oh, yeah, they're numbered. I have number 27. Yes, lucky what? number 27. Yeah. I got 29. And uh, the other zine we're doing is one that I have. It's a 6 by 6 zine by Neil Piper called It Makes No Sound. It's 28 pages. It's color. It's black and white. It's all pinholes. I've never been a huge fan of pinhole photography, but every time I see it, I'm always kind of like, ooh, ooh. I don't know why where the disconnect comes from. No Oz, just ooh? Just ooh, but not <laughs> ooh. I like Neil's photos. I like I like pinhole photos that don't necessarily look like pinhole photos. And a lot of times you look at a photo that's pinhole and you're like, that's pinhole. I like photos that that you kind of have to like look at it a bit. Like, I wonder if that's pinhole. And a lot of his are like that. He does a lot of abandoned buildings, which is, you know, something that I'm kind of keen on. He does a few of the sun trails. The ones that I like best are he does these macro shots of flowers. And he, I don't know if he scanned in the film and like the black and white film in color and it gave it like a, a reddish feel or if he dyed it or changed it in post. I don't know how he came up with this, but I really, really like the last two images. Get to his website, pick it up. He is Neil Piper at uh, neilpiper.com. Give him a follow on Instagram at Neil Piper and pick up a zine. So if you do a zine and you'd like for us to review it, get in contact with us. Yeah, we both do zines and we'd love to make a trade. Yours for ours. And lastly, the question for episode four. Is there a location that you've stumbled upon that give you way more photos than you expected? Yeah, we've all had these places where we, we come upon a place and we're suddenly taken by it. And there's photos everywhere to just to be had. And we just spend maybe an hour, maybe two hours, maybe a day just photographing the place. Photography dreamland. Go to Instagram, DM us a voice message, leave us your name in your Instagram handle. Tell us where these things are. And that about does it for the show today. If you'd like to contact us, we're allthroughalens.podcast on Instagram. If you would like to send us an email, allthroughalens.podcast at gmail.com. We're on Facebook no. and we're no. on Twitter. We are, we are not on either of those things. Stop it, Vanya. We are not on Twitter. We are not on Facebook. And we still don't have a website. Vanya, you are Surf Martian on Instagram. And Eric is Conspiracy of Cartographers. <laughs> we also do a Spotify playlist for each episode. So check those out to see what we're listening to. Just search all through a lens. You can also find our episodes on Spotify as well as on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and wherever the hell else you find your podcasts. Subscribe and leave us a damn review. The music you're hearing now is from Last Regiment of Syncopated Drummers, which can be found at 
lastregiment.com. See you in a couple of weeks. Uh, Vanya, you want to go out and shoot? Fuck yeah, I do. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs>